0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, everyone. It's Leah. This week, I'm excited to share with you a best of conversation I had with Tamara Levitt. She's the head of mindfulness at Calm. As our show continues to focus on human potential and meaningful living, I thought this would be a great introduction or reminder of the value of taking just a few minutes out of your day to quiet your mind, find some calm, and expand your consciousness. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. I'm Leah Smart, and welcome to In the Arena, a LinkedIn self-development podcast, our show explores the vulnerable aspects of the human experience to inspire transformation. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. And it's because my work is really about one thing. It's how do we live more authentic and meaningful lives while we're here. That might be how you find purpose at work, how you found purpose in life, how you create your own and cultivate your own meaning and I've been doing this deep work for the last three years now and no matter where I turn, when it comes to being the absolute best version of you, I find it generally requires three things. One is unplugging from the world, two is getting silent and three is intentionally reconnecting with yourself. And there are a ton of ways to do this, right? So you could go for a walk. You could be in nature. You could leave your phone at home for an afternoon. You could write or just rest or read. The list goes on and on. But today I'm focusing on how we can get silent, still, and reconnected through meditation. So I invited the amazing Tamara Levitt onto the show. If you haven't heard of Tamara, she is the head of mindfulness at Calm, and she's the voice of thousands of meditations on their highly rated app. I told her when we were recording that actually she was the first and has been probably the most consistent guided meditation narrator I've been listening to over the last decade. Now, here's the cool thing. Neither of us have a kind of typical woo-woo background. Um, We've been people who have either stumbled in or met meditation because of a blend of difficult life experiences and a little desire to find and cultivate inner peace. So in this conversation, what we're doing is we're breaking down what meditation really is, how it supports you being that best you, and some common misconceptions. Something I find when I talk to friends or colleagues who aren't into meditation is that they either feel like they have to be, you know, sitting down for an hour or they can't call themselves meditators or they can't meditate. We're definitely here to bust that myth. All of Tamara's amazing meditations on the app are 10 minutes. So truly what we're talking about is 10 minutes in the 24 hours that you have in your day to sit down and reconnect. And what I wanted to hear from Tamara, and what I shared too, is what the outcomes are of just sitting quietly for even that short a period of time. They can truly be a game changer for how you show up in your day, with other people, and in your life. And somehow, I felt calmer after we talked. I don't know if that's made up or if that was just real, but I love Tamara's voice. So take one big deep breath, settle in, and I hope you enjoy.
1: Why has meditation become so popular in the
0: last handful of years? Tamara, thanks so much for for joining me in the arena. I am so excited to put the voice to the recorded voice.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) It's great to have you.
1: It's wonderful to be here. I'm glad we could do this.
0: Absolutely. What I'd love to do is just get us out of the any thoughts that people may or may not have about what meditation is. Like, can we just get those out of the way? and, And can you share, you know, what is meditation and why does it matter right now?
1: Yeah, I I think that more of us are looking for tools to help us deal with all of this change and uncertainty and stress and anxiety that we're facing, you know, especially in the last couple of years, it's been more profound than ever. So, you know, we're looking for for tools to better equip us to to deal with this much change. We're, We're not equipped to deal with this much change. And I don't know that we've ever faced this kind of experience before. So, you know, it's impacting us at all levels. And meditation has become much more accessible to people over the last few years. So it's become a really great tool, right? We're all really busy. We can meditate At our own time, in our home, whenever it works for us. And I think that's made it a lot easier for people to pick up the practice. To answer your question about who is meditation for and people's preconceptions about meditation, it's something that has become more mainstream in the last few years. And I think that's amazing because people are realizing that meditation is for everyone. You don't need to be religious. You don't need to believe in anything in particular. It's a secular practice that literally anyone could do anywhere, really. You could do it at the bus stop. And I think years ago, there was a real association with religion and meditation, which isn't the case for many types of meditation. I think there are some types of meditation that have religious affiliations, but mindfulness meditation and insight meditation, which is the type of practice that so many of us, our learning these days is really for everyone. It doesn't have anything to do with religion.
0: And when you, you know, so, well, maybe just first, what is meditation? How would you describe it to someone who's just trying to get like the the simple definition?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'd say meditation is the practice of going within and waking up to what's happening in any given moment. What we're learning to do is deepen our awareness of what's happening from moment to moment to enable us to respond to what's happening in a more skillful way. So, you know, that takes shape in so many different ways, you know, with with the practice of meditation. I mean, the, the formal practice of meditation involves us sitting on our cushion or chair And going inwards and taking some time to pay attention. And we pay attention to our thoughts and our emotions, and we learn to get to know ourselves better. And then we learn how to respond to whatever is coming up in practice. And they're all the same things that come up in our, you know, our quote unquote, real life. We have impatience, we have judgments, we have discomfort, we have physical pain. All of these things give us an opportunity to learn how to work with these things. And so then the second half is going out into the world and learning to actually bring mindfulness into our lives. So it's kind of like a two-part practice.
0: I love the way you describe that. So it's going inward as part of it, but then it's also the kind of decision and maybe responsibility of saying, okay, now that I know what the inward world, my inner world looks like, I'm going to go out and hopefully behave differently based on what I understand about my inner world. Is that how you'd put it?
1: I, I feel like that's part of it, but it's also in moment-to-moment experience of living and dealing with all of these challenges that surf us, us having the capacity to pause. And notice what's happening so that we can deal with whatever is happening in real life more skillfully. So, for example, if we're in a situation where we're suddenly feeling a lot of stress in a conversation and we feel some reactivity and maybe some anger, instead of reacting in that moment and saying something that we might regret, we can pause we can notice what's happening. Maybe our jaw is clenching. Maybe our body is constricting in in different ways, or we feel a pull in in our back or tension in our tummy. We have all of these brilliant cues within our body. And then with those cues, we can recognize, okay, Now is not the time to say what I'm thinking. I'm gonna wait until I can calm down a little bit before I can react and potentially blow this relationship. So what it is, is it's really it's learning how to develop those skill sets on the cushion so that then when we're In the real world, and we're dealing with situations like that, or we're driving and there is, you know, back to back traffic and we're feeling road range surface road range surface or, you know, any kind of experience there's I'm sure we'll get to a lot more today, Mm -hmm. any kind of challenge that we're facing in life, Mm -hmm. mindfulness
0: can support us with. Well, and because you've said mindfulness a few times, I think, I don't know about you, but being in this space, I think all of these words are getting conflated and maybe confusing for people who aren't in -hmm. this space. What's the difference between mindfulness and meditation? Would that be mindfulness be the application or?
1: Yeah. Yeah, actually. I mean, that's the way that I would describe it. I, I feel like meditation is the formal practice where we're, sitting and being open to our experience whatever that looks like whether there's racing thoughts or whether the mind is still or whether there's boredom or anything that comes up we're learning how to respond and work with whatever comes up and create and create a non-judgmental compassionate experience so then we go into our lives we go into our relationships and our workplace and we're able to actually apply the practices that we've learned in meditation. And that looks as mindfulness. Mindfulness teaches us that we need to be compassionate to ourselves when we're realizing that we're really critical of ourselves. Mindfulness teaches us that when we're getting swept away by social media, we need to come back. Mindfulness, what it does is it actually wakes us up to whatever's happening so that then we can respond in, in a more skillful way,
0: mm-hmm. is,
1: is that a little bit more clear?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about real life examples, like, you know, you mentioned being in the car on the freeway, you know, and how we react, mo- you know, in the moment versus pausing to respond and how many times um, I've seen it and also been, you know, the person who's reacted and had to then go back and clean it up because I reacted in the moment.
1: Another great example is is addiction, right? When we have an addiction, we're looking to an experience to soothe us or distract Mm. us. And when we are not mindful, we just follow the addiction. When we Mm. are able to apply mindfulness, we're able to recognize in that moment what's happening and it helps us make a different
0: choice. Wow. And you know, I I immediately, when you said addiction, went to thinking about, you know, substance abuse. But I also think for anyone listening, this applies to, of course, to things like, you know, food, alcohol, or substances, but also to social media, to television and so many other things that maybe are more, you know, societally accepted, but not necessarily meaningful or positively impactful at the scale that we do them right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, social media for sure. Mindfulness helps us to just bring more awareness to what's happening. So, as soon as we get, we, as soon as we realize that we've been caught up, it gives us the opportunity to come back. In terms of food, I used to have an eating disorder from the time that I was 14 to about 24. So, it was a 10 year period. And it wasn't dieting. Uh, help me recover. It wasn't managing my, my, my food intake or any of the things that I was actually instructed to use to support my eating disorder. It was mindfulness and deepening in self-compassion so that Mm. when I ate, I had bulimia when I would eat instead of berating myself and criticizing myself, I would actually apply self-compassion and Mm. tenderness. And that helped me realize that it wasn't as big a deal to you know eat that cookie or or that bag of chips and i was able to actually let go of all of the anxiety that i had around the act of eating so yeah mindfulness can can support us in so many ways
0: I want to, I want to add one more to this because I personally have experienced anxiety for a long time and I live in New York. So people who live in New York or big city might say, well, duh, but you know, I also, so it may be situational, but I also experience anxiety anyway. And you know, in my learning, I was recognizing that's an addiction too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I mean, the way that, the way that we think this is neuroplasticity, right? The more we think in a certain way, the more that tendency develops. So, you know, neuroplasticity is, you know, the idea that, that when we have a certain type of thought, it grows stronger. So neurons that fire together, wire together. And if we have a lot of anxious thoughts, those anxious thoughts become a response system to anything that feels stressful, and so they grow. I actually used to have generalized anxiety disorder, so I can relate. Mm. And it took me many years. I mean, I still deal. I still deal with anxiety. I don't know anybody that doesn't have anxiety. <laughs> yeah, but it yeah. was it was really bad for mm. a very long time, and and that was partly due to you know past trauma in my life. But you know, at the end of the day just even having awareness of the thoughts and realizing, okay, I'm falling into negativity and I'm falling into anxiety and can I catch myself here and maybe try and reframe the experience from a more balanced perspective, You know, that's applying mindfulness or taking a pause and going and either meditating or just even taking a few long deep breaths to calm down our nervous system is an amazing way to help anxiety. And, you know, it all starts with awareness. It all starts with mindfulness.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. Um, Sometimes it it seems like, you know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Marianne Williamson and I used to go see her at uh, the Marble Collegiate Church in New York every two weeks. And she used to always say, you can either learn from joy or from pain. I don't know many people who learn from joy though. And I would always kind of laugh, but, you know, the way that I found my, my way to, you know, meditation and to my own, you know, secular um, spirituality was through Pain, a painful experience, like a point that I would say is, is really low or was very low. And I'd say, you know, as I was finding my way there, I used a mix of meditation of, you know, spiritual practices I was learning. I was studying, you know, a course in miracles and started studying Kabbalah and recognizing there were different ways for me to access mindfulness and also consciousness, this idea of waking up. And One of the things that I recognized was, you know, at least for for myself, for the people that I knew, and for what I understood at the time about, you know, many people in the world was that we were feeling far away from something that could center us, and we were using all sorts of things outside of us to try and find that center. And so I'm curious, you know, what you've seen. I mean, you've been doing this for so long, maybe like the, the skipping to the end of what what have you seen that people truly like if you had to just narrow it down i know you've been kind of circling it and talking about it but what have you seen from people who start to access meditation and mindfulness what's the outcome like why is it, how why should i do it why is my life different mhm there are so many different ways to answer that question
1: because everyone's path is so different and mm-hmm. everyone's outcome of meditating is going to be very different. One of the things that we learn pretty early in practice is that we don't go into meditation for a particular result because that's actually creating a layer of attachment, which is what mm-hmm. we're trying to get rid of. <laughs> when I, I, I remember I went to uh, a 10 day meditation retreat. It was the first retreat that I'd ever done. And I went in with an enormous amount of chronic pain that I'd been holding for years. And after I left, I realized that the pain had subsided significantly. I'd never experienced something like this before, it felt like magic. And when I went back for the second retreat, I'd, I'd actually accumulated some different pain. And when I was speaking with the teacher before the retreat started, I mentioned to her that I was really hoping to have a release or, or, or at least some relief of the pain that I was carrying. And she said, if that's why you're here, you should leave. And oh, wow. it sounds a little bit harsh, and she didn't mean it that way. She was actually very gentle But what she was pointing to was that if we're going into practice looking for something very specific, Mm -hmm. then again, what I mentioned before, what we're doing is we're developing all of these attachments and it's not through clinging that we have the release. It's actually through letting go. So that was a really amazing lesson for me. And what I've learned is that when I go in to my practice, there are all these outcomes that I would not necessarily have expected. And I see that with many people. I mean, tons of people. I have I, I hear from our subscribers on a regular basis. I love getting getting their emails and, and hearing about all these benefits. I've heard people that share that they've been supported with, with chronic pain and, and have had it alleviated. Anxiety and depression is huge. panic attacks, addiction, Relationships is huge. There's so many people that come in Mm. and say, My family thanks you. My family is just so happy that I'm meditating because they're more patient and calm with their kids and their spouses, and they're able to let things go. And, you know, they don't have the same, you know, really kind of harsh expectations that they might have had because there's a little bit less judgment. So, we see so many different things. You know, there's also health benefits, of course, that, that people experience sleep is massive and, you know, it, it, helps lower blood pressure and, you know, all kinds of things with anxiety, it helps calm our nervous system down. There's so many different outcomes of meditating. And so I always suggest that people go in, it's good to have an idea of why we're going in to meditate, but once we have that, kind of that. once the door is open, we want to just let the practice be what the practice is. And the practice often works in magical ways that we don't necessarily <laughs> expect or even understand. So yeah, I would, I would really say to new meditators and even to people who've been meditating for a while, go in without a judgment because we're, we're trying to actually release our judgments. And I think that's when we actually see the, the, the best results.
0: I love the idea of going in without expectations. I do a mix. Sometimes I'm doing visualizations, which are a little bit different, but, you know, a lot of times I'm just, I'm meditating and I use the Calm app, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I would say I notice, you know, I, I try to explain it in this way that I notice I'm more aware of my reactions before I behave in accordance with, with the thought (laughs) that I'm having. So, you know, I think they say that this is like the refractory period for the brain, but I try to describe this as like the experience, you know, the more you meditate, you know, your first day of meditation, maybe you sit on the pillow and it's sort of like your ability to respond instead of react is sort of like throwing a boomerang out into the wild and it comes back in a day. And then, you know, as you continue to meditate, the boomerang starts coming back faster and faster. So your ability to sort of bounce back, to recognize and then potentially bounce back from challenges that you're having or from thoughts that you experience shifts so massively, and you can't quite mm-hmm. pinpoint the shift. I don't even know if you if you kind of align with that, but I can't remember the day right that something changed. Yeah. I can I can only recall how I was and how I am now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, develop that, like the development of non-reactivity is such a a significant part of meditation. and, And it's for me, one of the things that I'm most grateful for about my practice. Um, again, having come from trauma, my my instinct is to be reactive because I've had to protect myself for so much of my life, and so meditation has been really helpful for me in you know in my relationships and in my general you know overall sense of, of well being and happiness. Uh, but I remember actually going back to that first retreat that I did. I went for a walk with a friend the day after, and we were going, we went into a store and I realized that I didn't have my wallet when I went to pay for something. And I said, oh, well, I guess I'll just, you know, look for it when we get home. And my friend was really surprised that I didn't freak out because normally if I didn't have my wallet, my response would be, oh my God, I have to go home. I hope I haven't lost it. I, you know, and, and go into the whole spiral around, oh my God, I hope I don't have to go and get a new driver's license and all of that. I was just so super calm about it. And I wasn't jumping to any conclusions and I wasn't making it into a big deal. And that was actually the first thing that anybody noticed after my retreat. And I actually didn't really even feel the impact of it until I got that external feedback. So it's a really interesting thing because when you're in the practice and you're changing, it's kind of like aging, right? You don't really notice yourself aging the way other people do that haven't seen you for five years. So it's it's sometimes other people that notice the changes.
0: When you're in that moment of, you know, and I'm trying to make sure we just, we get really you know, clear on what some of these phrases mean, what it's like to experience them. So, when you're in that moment that most of us would freak out, you know, can't find my wallet. Oh my God, have to go home. Has it fallen somewhere? Has someone taken it and is now like buying things on, you know, West Elm because yeah. they've got my credit card? When you're in that moment and you're not, you're saying, oh, well, I'll look for it, what's going on for you that's different than what would have been, than what would have been going on? And, and maybe I'll ask it. I'll add in, what are you understanding that's different than maybe what you understood before?
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell you what's happening internally. Internally, my body and my mind are more calm. And that's really what allows us to respond to things uh, non-reactively. Because when we have a greater calm in our body and mind, there's this space around our experience so that it doesn't cause us to jump. There's actually a great analogy. I might, I might jumble this up because I haven't um, told it in, in a couple of years at least, but if you imagine a river, like a really rapid, rapid river and someone is on a boat in the river, they're gonna be you know, flung up and down with the waves and it's gonna be a really rocky experience right? So what mindfulness is, is it's actually helping us to step out of the boat and onto the shoreline so that rather than getting caught up in all of the waves, we're actually able to have the space so that we can see what's going on, but not get caught up in it.
0: Oh, I love that visual out of the boat and onto the shoreline. Yeah. Got it. When we get back, Tamara talks about how self-compassion is a key element to the discipline of regular meditation. This is some of my favorite work by the psychologist Kristen Neff. That's after break. You won't want to miss it. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA.
2: From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday Podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday Podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career.
1: I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion.
2: Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort... And your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back with Tamara Levitt. So, you know, we've talked about meditation, mindfulness, you know, I mentioned consciousness, the other term that floats around, and I think less often in the corporate space, but it's, it's floats around anyway, because it's a very real part of who we are, but it's spirituality. And I'm curious, does spirituality matter? And when I say spirituality, I mean, secular spirituality, just connection to self, to the world. Does it matter? And what role does meditation play? in supporting that development.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like the way that you referred to spirituality as connection, because I think, you know, to be honest, I, I, I kind of have gotten lost in the word. I, I sometimes, I don't even know what it means anymore. I know (laughs) so many people use it in so many different contexts. I used to use it a lot, you know, 20 years ago, and now I don't really I don't really use it that often. I, I do like the word connection. You know, med- mindfulness and meditation offers us an opportunity to come home to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And we learn, we learn who we are. We learn everything about ourselves that we wouldn't normally learn, right? Like when we're in school, we're not we're not learning how to get to know ourselves. We're not learning how to develop self-compassion and gentleness and how to find resilience and stability. Like to me, these are all the things that really matter in life. And so connecting with ourselves in this way that we do through mindfulness, it really helps us learn how to get to know ourselves and how to find stability in this unstable world. Once we understand ourselves we're able to learn how to work with our emotions and our triggers. And so, unless we know how to work with those things ourselves, then we're going into the world like, you know, it's like we're going into the world unprepared. It would be like if you don't if you don't know how to speak French and you go to France, it's going to be more difficult, right? I mean, that's kind of a silly example, but if we don't know how to communicate mindfully, if we don't know how to self-soothe ourselves when we have anxiety, you know, if we don't know all of these things that we learn in practice, then how do we exist in a way that we're really taking care of our mental and emotional health and also supporting other people in the world? Because the only way that we can really support other people is if we're supporting ourselves, right? It all starts with
0: ourselves. I love that you said that because my, you know, the, the vision of this podcast is that better humans create better work, which creates then a better world. And, you know, with so many people spending so much time at work, right. And so much time in their communities and in their world, it seems we still have a little bit of a ways to go with spending time with ourselves, and like you said, coming home to ourselves. And I love that you highlight that, you know, it doesn't have to be spirituality that uses a word. It can just be connection, connection to self connection to others. But that without that, it's kind of like what you're saying is my my reactivity and conditioning is just going out into the world, bumping up against everyone else's reactivity and conditioning. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I want to called it called out judgment a few times. And I'm sure even for you, I'd, I'd love to hear this. Even for people who regularly meditate, there is, it, it's really easy to fall off track. You can easily stop meditating for a period of time and then, you know, judge yourself for not doing that. Or, you know, in my own experience, I found earlier this year trying to meditate, I'd sit on the pillow and I would be so, my mind would be racing so much and I'd be so full of just, it was like my body was. All it wanted to do is jump off that pillow and go do stuff. And so I would get up and I wouldn't meditate because I just kept thinking in my mind, like, I just can't do it. And it's only the last few, you know, really the last few weeks that I've felt very calm and being able to do it. But can you just talk a little bit about like that experience of, you know, the kind of coming in and out of this practice and of the role self-compassion plays in that judgment?
1: Mm Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, well, first of all, I have something to share about your experience. You're human. And so <laughs> we are we we all have periods where it's difficult to meditate. When I first started, I was practicing very regularly. I mean, for years and years I practiced every day. For for periods I practiced for 2 hours a day. I was, you know, really really intense about it and Now I, I, I don't, I don't practice every day, you know, and some people could call me a bad meditator, but I feel quite comfortable with the fact that I meditate as often as I can. But if I miss a day, it's not a big deal. I think that one of the biggest things that people need to understand about this practice is that even though discipline is really important right? Like it's a practice like anything else. So in order for us to really make a difference, we do need to do it regularly, especially when, you know, we're, we're fighting our, our, our core beliefs and the the habits that we've had for a lifetime. So practicing every day empowers us so that when we go into the world, we have mindfulness at our fingertips, but at the same time, self-compassion, you know, we've just, we talked about self-compassion. It's a really big part of of working with ourselves in our lives and and non-judgment. So if we have critical feelings, like I'm a failure for missing a few days, or, you know, why bother doing this if I can't do it every day, that's when we stop. And so we don't want to get to that point. We want to be soft. In addition to being disciplined, we want to be forgiving. So I think that's actually the most important thing that I would say to anybody who falls off track And then I would add a few tips, you know, you could try switching up the time you meditate that could be helpful uh, or the place. One of the things that I really love is getting a meditation buddy. Not everybody has access to meditation centers, which are really supportive. So at least having a meditation buddy where you call each other up or text each other and say, Hey, I'm meditating now. And you're kind of accountable to each other. That can be really helpful. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're human and we're going to get busy and things are going to, you know, things are going to take us away from our practice. And then we come back and our practice is always here for
0: us. That last point is huge. The practice is always there for you. I remember a point, you know, earlier this year, after I'd gone through this process of going, Oh, I just can't sit down and meditate that I felt like I I had points of wondering, will I ever sit down to meditate again? Because I keep Mm -hmm. quote unquote, messing this up. And so, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing, you know, we're human and the discipline is important, but at the same time, you know, um, our ability to, you know, I think, I think really what brought me back is, you know, once you do start meditating regularly and you see the change and then you stop for a while, you see that change too. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's kept me coming back these, uh, right. <laughs> you know, 25
0: years for sure. Exactly. So I'm curious, you know, Tamara, as as people are listening to this and thinking about the impact of meditation, like it could sound like a silly question, but I'm, I'm curious what you think, you know, if everybody at work in our workplaces were a regular and whatever that means for them, regular meditator, what do you think would be different?
1: I mean a few things. One, we'd we'd like each other a lot more. <laughs> we'd see that, you know, again, coming back to stress and reactivity. You know, people, th- 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 there's so many different personality types at work, right? We're, we're definitely going to encounter people that we don't get along with as well. And there's going to be conflict. So if someone sends us an email that upsets us, rather than hitting reply and sending one back that's going to escalate the conflict, we can pause and we can save that relationship, right? If we just wait until we've calmed down, we can respond in a way that is going to soften the situation. Or we can just communicate in a more effective way, because when we communicate out of anger, that usually leads to problems. Also, we're we learn how to how to listen better with mindfulness. So rather than you know, trying to get in what we need to get into a conversation because we feel protective, we can actually feel calm enough to listen first. And then when people feel heard, they're more receptive to us when it's yeah. our turn to speak. You know, I think that there's so many other things that come up with with work. You know, there's perfectionism, there's self doubt, and so again, coming back to compassion and kindness rather than criticism are really helpful. We want to be able to take risks, right? I mean, part of part of why calm has been so successful is because we have taken massive risks. Not, not every single feature we've tried has been a big success. I would say most of them have been like the big ones, but there's some small things we've done that haven't really taken off, but we just look at them as learning opportunities and we don't regard them as failures. We review them as having tried something, which is amazing. And that's really, it's the, it's the way we respond to a situation. That is really important. It's not the situation itself. It's not the failure. It's the way we respond to the failure that matters. So, those are a few of the things that come to mind. You know, the, the last thing is just anxiety, is something that surfaces a lot at work. We have presentations, and it's really easy to get overwhelmed and and anxious before a big meeting or a big presentation. And so using the tools of mindfulness can be incredibly supportive, meditating, like for a few minutes, just closing your eyes and breathing before you have to speak goes a massive way and can alleviate anxiety.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, what you're kind of alluding to is like, there are, All these elements of being human that show up with us at work that we often aren't skilled or taught or experienced at working with. And so, meditation is one tool or strategy to work with the fact that we are all emotional beings who also happen to think and then happen to have jobs versus, you know, being thinking beings who show up to work and can turn off our experiences of emotion, which guide a lot of the challenges we have.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, the workplace, it's just another opportunity to apply our mindfulness practice, right? Mm-hmm. Every single, every single encounter we have in life, every single circumstance we have in life allows us to put our practice into use.
0: Mm, I love that. All right. So Tamara, I'm going to have you answer our three big questions. So the vision of this show is better humans, better work, better world. So I would love for you to complete each of the statements as you see fit. So better humans are compassionate, better work is balanced, and a better world has more connection. Love it. Thank you so much for being here. I don't know if it was just knowing going back into my calm app mode, but I felt calm having this conversation. So (laughs) so thanks for bringing the calm to in the arena. (laughs) You're so welcome. It was a pleasure. You just heard from Tamara Levitt, head of mindfulness at calm and the voice you'll hear if you try out the app. If today's episode made you want to calm down, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review It helps other people who want to live better, like you, find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. This episode was produced by the amazing LinkedIn Media Production Team, with help from Michelle O'Brien and Franz Bowen. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of Original Audio and Video. Dave Pond is head of News Production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn, and I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.